Hi, I'm Jeff Madoff, and today on Curiosity Bites with Doug Barron, we're going to talk about what I do. And what I do is I'm the author of Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas. And I am a professor at Parsons School for Design, where I interview lots of really interesting people that contributed to the book. I am a playwright. I have a play that's premiering in May called Personality, the Lloyd Price musical. And I am the CEO of Madoff Productions, not a coincidence, same last name as mine. And I do commercials, documentaries, and so on for people like Ralph Lauren, companies like Victoria's Secret, Harvard School of Public Health, American Academy of Dramatic Arts. So we're going to talk about creativity and how editing is the real secret to doing great creative work about creativity, collaboration, and trust, and how to work with people in a way that really enhances and make your work, makes your work a lot better. So I'm really looking forward to my conversation with Doug because as you regular listeners know, he is an interesting guy and a lot of fun to talk to. So please stay tuned and hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to part four my binge-worthy interview with the master, Jeff Madoff. He is the author of Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas. You'll find out more about Jeff at acreativecareer.com. That's with the A at the front, acreativecareer.com, and also madoffproductions.com. By the way, this episode of, of Curiosity Bites is brought to you in part by Magcast, Imagine having your own industry magazine. What would that do for your authority? Whether you're a coach, a content expert, or an emerging brand, it's hard to stand out from the crowd. So what if there was a proven way to increase both your perceived authority and your professional status in the eyes of your market and get to do it all at once? This is your way to go from being invisible to getting a meeting with absolutely anyone. To find out more, go to magcast, M-A-G-C-A-S-T dot co, C-O where first-time publishers create thriving magazine businesses. That's magcast.co. All right, welcome back to this final episode of uh, (laughs) Curiosity Bites with Jeff Madoff. We've been talking about so many wonderful things, and we finished our last section talking about context. And what I want to sort of explore here is the creative process. We're going to dig into the creative process because as we were talking about before, Jeff is a highly creative individual. So let's sort of dive into that because you've done the creative process across so many avenues. Tell us a little bit about that. So I, you know, when I look at creativity and I look at whether you're talking about a dance, whether you're talking about a photograph, a painting, a book, a film, a play, piece of clothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're really talking about is that there were decisions made before you saw that final product mm-hmm. that led to that. And that those decisions, which I think are hugely important in the creative process, is, are called editing. Editing is the key, I believe, to the creative process. Mm. So what is editing and and what do I mean by that? So the sculptor Rodin had a great comment when somebody said to him, 
you know, how do you take a two-ton block of marble and sculpt a woman? And he said, uh, I cut away everything that's not a woman. <laughs> and I love that idea. So I'll tell you how that applies to me. So when we were doing the first table reading of my play, Personality, uh, there's a scene where Lloyd Price goes to Australia. And this is the first time, by the way, that all the actors are together and we're, we're reading the play. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm with my director, uh, Sheldon Epps, who's fantastic. And there's a scene in Australia and the actors, as they're reading it, they're cracking up. And they keep laughing. And, you know, I wrote it. I was hoping they'd laugh. Sure. I'm thinking, mm -mm, something's not right. Uh. So we finish the scene and then do a little more and then we take a break. And I said to Sheldon, what do you think about the Australia scene? And he said, well, we know it's funny. Everybody laughed. It's an interesting story. But is it essential? And I said, what do you mean? Is it essential? He said, does it either move the plot forward or reveal more about the character? Mm. And I said, no. He said, well, then I don't think we need it. And boom, like that, six and a half pages of script came out. And it was interesting because that's a question all of us who are creatives have to ask ourselves, is it essential? If it's not either adding more knowledge about the situation or propelling the story forward or the painting forward or the piece of music forward, then you don't need it. Get rid of it. Nothing, I believe nothing can become precious to you because as they say, you might have to kill it. <laughs> And so it was interesting because somebody said to me when I said this, told this story, wow, that must have been really hard for you to do. I said, actually, no, it wasn't because my goal is to make it as good as possible. And that made it better by doing that. So you, so, bring, up, you bring up something so important, profound to business, to entrepreneurship, and to the creative process. I'm an artist, I understand. I create, I get it. Editing is pain. And I've, I've read so many writers who said that, you know, the, the most painful part is not the writing, it's the editing. I have a book called Don't Read This, Your Ego Won't Like It. It's about, it's close to 500 pages. It was 900 pages when I wrote it, it's still way too big, certainly for today. Um, but it was painful to remove every freaking word from it. And I still find that that is, I'll be honest, I still find that the hardest thing to do. And I, I actually, it's one of the reasons I love my editor, because she'll say, yeah, this is great, Dove but you've written three articles. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, there's three subjects here. And I'm like, really? Don't they just tie together? And she's like, oh, they do, but you can't have them in one piece. 
they because they tie together but they open up way too much question and you can't fill it all in 1200 words so what are you going to do you're either going to break it into three or you're going to have it as a summary of three but it can't be can't be what it is and i was like damn okay that's odd but i get that talk to us about that in this because i you said something there that i think is just so important which is the preciousness the precious you know it's it's as artists it's like every delicious morsel can't be given away and i think it's part of the artist's curse is art is a creation we give to the world that many of us and i know i don't struggle with it anymore but many of us want to hold to ourselves we create it for the world but we want to keep it to ourselves and i think that that is in fact the truth of the starving artist is that you know they die and you find out they got twenty thousand paintings that nobody ever saw because they were hoarding their own creative expression talk to us about that tearing off of your own flesh in the editing process if you were talking to us whether we're as entrepreneurs or whether we're as business people or whether we're a, a, a filmmaker or whatever like because honestly i watch movies i love film and we didn't even get to talk about film i love film big film guy and and and, uh, and i watch tv shows and i often think i could make that show but it'd be two hours long. It's a 20 minute episode. And I think, how the hell did they do that? Faulty Towers was 18 minutes long. It ran three stories as threads in that 18 minutes. And it did so beautifully and it never missed a beat. And I remember listening to John Cleese talking about that and thinking that for me is the genius, the creativity and the funny is there, but like, how do you do that? How do you edit like slicing pieces of yourself off? Well, I don't look at it as dramatically as that. You know, I, I know that that's- But I do, and I think <laughs> that many artists feel that way. Right, well, so I think that's the first problem. Right. You know, the first problem is that if you think whatever you do is so precious, that it should not be messed with, uh, you know, then you're the kind of person that they find all these things that never got out there to the public, right? I mean, on the, on the first day of class, I'll say to my students, how many of you have gone to a gallery, seen a painting on the wall and said, oh, I could have done that. And almost all their hands go up. I said, well, what's the difference between you and them? And there's silence. And then eventually somebody says, they did it. That's right. They actually did it and put it out there. Mm -hmm. uh, I know in writing a play, my goal is to get it out there, get it out there in front of an audience. And what I hope happens is that I am getting tremendous enjoyment uh, that the audience is, is loving what they're seeing, laughing, crying, feeling that I'm getting that engagement the same kind of engagement I want when I go to the theater. I want to feel that way. So few people leave a movie or a book or a play and say, man, I wish that was a lot longer. <laughs> you know, that doesn't happen. Uh, and so I think out of respect for your audience, 
but also respect for yourself, you put the best piece of work you can out there. So that means however you happen to work, if you're somebody that writes and writes and writes and writes and then edits, I tend to percolate more mm -hmm. so that my writing is fairly tight when it comes out, but not nearly as tight as I think it is. Mm -hmm. And eventually, by the way, you become blind to your own work. Of course. And you've got to hand it over to somebody who then you get some feedback from. So between, in the case of the play, working with the director as we're going through this, and I include some of the actors in this too, where, you know, it's really interesting because these characters have a life of their own. But the, and no actor, by the way, wants to cut down on the number of words they speak on stage or in front of a camera. That's part of what they want to do. So the instinct is to keep it all out there. But what you really want to do is be economical with it and realize that there is a difference between you and your work. And if your goal is to put the best piece of finished work out there, you might then consider things less precious because what in fact you're doing is making the overall a lot better. And so I would caution people to, to first of all, establish an emotional moat between themselves and their work so they don't feel that every criticism of their work they take to heart because it's a criticism of them. Right. No, that's the work. And then, you know, I know when criticism is on the nose because that resonates in my bone marrow. Yeah. And I also know when people say things to me and it's like, well, if you want to do that, write your own play. That's not what this is about, you know, right. uh, but harboring things as precious and leaving them in, I think is the, is a mistake that it's a mistake of immaturity that artists make. And that immaturity can be when you're young, that immaturity can be when you're old. Absolutely. And so I think that if your goal is to put the best possible piece of work out there, then you realize what you're doing is not tearing off skin, you're making the work better. Yeah, and I think, you know, like I said, I love my editor um, because she, she can see what's really precious in there. Mm -hmm. And so she sees it and I oh, certainly in the last 15 years or so have become way less attached to it um, from that point of view of just this understanding. And I, I, I wrote to her a note and I said to her, I think that, um, you know, cause her nickname she gave herself was the dove whisperer. Right, because she can take something that is a you know, three thousand words and hone it down to eight hundred words, and I'm like, you know, and not lose my voice, right. just hone it down. But it's that, it's that refinement, yes, that's so beautiful and so. And I said to her, I said, I don't see this as me, the writer, you, the editor. I see this as a partnership. I see it absolutely mm -hmm. as a partnership. Uh, my name is the upfront name. I get that. Um, you know, but the truth of the matter is, even though we know that um, Paul McCartney was the dominant force of the Beatles because he was obsessive, you can't discount John Lennon. You can't discount George Harrison and you can't discount Ringo Starr. Every one of them was part of that. Um, and yeah, you know, 
Paul may have been a bit mashugi about over controlling things and a bit micromanaging, but every one of those pieces is what makes the collaborative mechanism that we were talking about earlier. And oftentimes that is not in the ad, but in the takeaway that right. the genius is, I honestly believe that is the genius is in the takeaway. I, I got to tell you this, this story because I was speaking at, you know, we talked about, you're talking about this as being like a startup. And um, I heard the story differently than you did. And that's okay. Um, Cause it's not right or wrong. Cause yours may be right, but it probably is right. Um, but I was speaking at this, um, what do you call them? It's for startup uh, where they train kids to think like startups. Um, incubator. Incubator. Thank you. I just got a brain fart. Uh, cranial, <laughs> cranial flatulence. Um, <laughs> it's a neuroscience word. Um, so I, I was there and I was, and I walked in and, and I was saying, you know, part of what I was talking about was the world is going to tell you who you are and the world is going to tell you what you should be. And that doesn't mean that's what you should be. I said, what's more is you may think you should be something and you may even have the ability to be something, but that doesn't mean that's what you will be if you're going to be in your truth. And they're like, Oh, okay. And I said, as an example, when I was a kid, my aunt was in galleries when I was very young. And immediately this young girl puts her hand up and she goes, do you miss it? And I took a pause and really genuinely thought, and I said, nope, I don't miss it. I said, to miss something, you would have to think about it and think that, you know, I wish I was doing it. I never have that thought. And then I carried on and gave my presentation. At the end of the presentation, I asked for some Q&A. They did that. And then I said, I want to thank that young lady who asked me that question. And, and they said, why? And I said, because you asked me if I miss it. And I said, I don't. And I said, I was telling the truth. I don't miss it. And the reason is because I'm still an artist. And she said, what do you mean? I said, do you know the story of Michelangelo and David, which is your Rodin story? And she said, no. I said, well, apparently, I don't know if it's true, but apparently Michelangelo was asked, how did you create David from a block of marble? And he said, I didn't. I just took away everything that wasn't David. And I said, to this day, the work that I do is about stripping away everything that isn't the pure essence of that human being, the soulful, the dragon fire of who they are, that I'm helping them to bring that and their heart to the world. And that is the artistry. And it, so now instead of being an artist who adds, I'm an artist who takes away. I'm an artist who strips away. So it's a, it's a lovely loop in this creative process piece. Yeah, it, and, and I think with your editor, and it's the same with, with uh, the director I'm working with, is when you agree from the get-go that it's not about pride of authorship. It's about putting the best possible piece of work out there in front of the audience you're seeking then all of a lot of this stuff falls away because you begin to recognize what makes it better, you know, what works. And uh, I often think of, of comedians, you know, when they're performing live because they get feedback right away, you either laugh or you don't. And you can't argue about, well, you know, but this is funny. I turned off my phone. You see, I was so present that that totally fucked me up. <laughs> okay. Nice. Uh, 
what was really important uh, in the agreement that I had with my director is that we both wanted the best possible piece of work to be put out in front of that audience. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about pride of authorship. It wasn't about whose idea it was. It was about what is going to make this the best. And so what has to accompany that, and I'm sure you have this with your editor, is trust. Mm -hmm. That you trust that they want the same thing you do, which is to make this the best it can be, not to be the one that has the final say, be the one that makes that final decision. It's about helping each other to turn out the best possible piece of work. And so trust is a big part of any collaboration. And when you are as intimate as collaborating about your book or about a play, that trust is absolutely essential. And when you achieve that, it's beautiful. Yeah. And, and collaboration is so fruitful. But it's, all, it's often quite rare. I, the guy who is, he's actually been on Curiosity Bites. He's a very good friend of mine. He wrote a book called The Iconist. Uh, best branding book I'd read in 10 years. Um, and Jamie and I became very, very good friends very quickly. And I said, and I said, you know, my brand is off. And he's like, why? And I said, it misses me. And he's like, so he goes and he looks and he comes back. He goes, you're absolutely right. You got a fantastic brand, but it misses your personality. Mm -hmm. And so hence all this is Jamie. And he is, you know, I often refer to him as a brand Nazi because <laughs> he'll see something go out. That's got like a line that shouldn't be there. And I'll get six messages in five minutes. Take it off. It's horrible. I hate it. It's too Nagel. Now, you'll probably know who Nagel is. I know who Nagel is because of the art background. But it, that was the artist behind Duran Duran's imagery and all that stuff. Very 80s. Very cool on Duran Duran, but not today. And he's like, it's too Nagel. And so I'll get, all I'll get is a word, Nagel exclamation. <laughs> right? And I, and I start laughing and I go, Jamie, I didn't see it. The marketing team put it out. I haven't seen it yet, but I'll get it removed. But one of the things you, about it, sorry. I was just going to say one of the things that you, that you went over quickly, but is really important is with people you trust, you establish a shorthand. So that term nagels, all he's got to say to you. Exactly. That's so this it. is one of the things about that is that we were having a conversation like a, a couple of days later. And he goes, I hope I didn't drive you crazy with that. I go, you did, but I'm just like, I know it's funny. Right? I, I don't get upset about it. And he goes, really? I go, he goes, I, I'm, I'm surprised it didn't bother you. I go, mate, I trust you. Implicitly. I trust you absolutely, totally, completely with my brand. I know that you have the best possible outcome for it. And if you're telling me to take something away or put something in, I'm going to listen to you because you know what the hell you're talking about. If you're a schmuck, I'm not listening. You're not a schmuck. I said, you know, I can't make my clients listen to me, but I very quickly learn whether I have their trust or not based on that. So I want you to challenge me back, that's fine. I'm good with that. But when I say, look, here's the evidence, here's what it is, this is what you said you wanted, are you doing it? No, do it or shut up. If you wanna ignore me, that's fine but we ain't working together because there's either trust or there isn't. And, and like you said, there's a shorthand to that. 
that's a really important piece. I, I, I really like that you brought that up. I want to ask you, because this has sort of been percolating in my mind for, for a while since we started talking, which is with, I mean, you come from Akron, is it Akron, Ohio? Is yeah. that right? You come yes. from there. You're a New York City guy. You've been in New York for a long time. You, you know, you've worked with Victoria's Secret. You've worked with these huge organizations. You've created um, uh, shows and documentaries and movies, and you've been in all these things. And I know that, I know that um, nothing is what it appears to be on the surface, anything, right? We all know that is the behind the scenes story. But on the surface of it, it looks like you got really lucky. It looks like you got into university, then you, oh, I'm going to leave that behind and I'll go into this. I'm leaving fashion behind. Oh, I'm voted in the top 10 young. I'm dumping that. I'm going off into this. Oh, I'm in the film world. Oh, I'm making Victoria's Secret mo um, videos. I'm doing these commercials for these high-end things. Oh, now I'm going to be teaching at the university. And oh, I'm making a, a play. Talk to us about the perception of luck and, and your luckiness. Do you believe in your luck or do you believe it's something else? I think that it's something else. I don't really believe in luck, although it's a great shorthand. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe that when you have your antenna up and you are, you have the ability to recognize opportunity and that you are ready to take advantage of that opportunity because of the homework you've done. Uh, it's kind of like the myth of the lightning bolt. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you recognize you the opportunity, right? Pardon, pardon? You speak about that in the book. Well, that's right. That's right. And it's, it's so you can call it luck, but I think that many people pass over many things that could be considered lucky. Uh, and it's they didn't recognize the opportunity that was there. But if your opportunity antenna is sensitive and it's up, you can seem lucky because A, you recognized it, B, you went after it because you felt ready. Yeah. So I didn't feel like I was lucky. And I also will add to that, I work really hard. I work a lot. Yeah. So I think the combination of recognizing opportunity, being prepared, and the willingness to put in the work, I guess that a shorthand term for that is luck, <laughs> but it certainly doesn't feel lucky. Opportunity uh, meeting preparation is luck. That's right. Right. That's right. So, I mean, you know, if I, if I, was walking down the street and I found a hundred dollar bill. Is that lucky? Well, I had to see it and I guarantee you other people walked by it and didn't recognize it. And I saw it. Was I lucky? I was lucky it was still there and somebody else didn't pick it up. But right. you know, it's being aware to use the term we talked about earlier, being present. Right. What were you like as a kid? Oh, I was terrific. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Could we? You know, I, I think actually I have aged, but I haven't matured. And uh, what 
I always have gone towards since I was a kid, even when you and I had the conversation a couple of weeks ago, uh, and we ended up talking nothing about anything we're talking about. We got into a whole rabbit hole about, did you see this film and this and that yep. and all of that? It was great fun. Uh, I am always attracted to people that, that I play well with. Mm. And if there is a sense of play and playfulness, uh, so since I was a kid, I always, I used to always, I did comic strips. I would draw and do stories and they'd get passed around the school. Wow. Uh, I, I wrote a play when I was in sixth grade. Uh, my parents had an eight millimeter projector and I would screw on with that and do camera tricks and do that sort of thing. So I've always had kind of unbounded curiosity uh, always loved learning things, uh, always asked lots of questions. I had teachers that either really liked me or didn't like me at all because they thought I was a wise ass. And I have many, many of the friendships that I had since I was a little kid. Uh, and, they, and these are lifelong friendships. When, when the shutdown started, I grew up on Sunnyside Avenue. And the street perpendicular was Oneida. When I was a kid, we're like, it was like the little rascals. There were always kids around, always stuff to do. I put together a Zoom reunion of us kids from Oneida and Sunnyside, many wow. of whom had not seen or talked to each other in 50 years. Wow. And we were on, we were on the call for four hours. And it was a blast. And I felt really good sort of giving that gift to everyone. Oh, yeah. We all had so much fun. <clears throat> so I'm not really, <laughs> to the dismay of my wife, I'm not really that different than I was when I was younger. Uh, and because I've always had that sense of play, always sense that, uh, that sense of opportunity. Uh, when, it, when it would snow, and when school would be called off, I knew that that's when I could go door to door and shovel driveways and maybe make 50 bucks that day, you know, uh, and humor and curiosity has always been uh, humor and curiosity has always been a big part of who I am. And uh, I can't think of anything that I have a lot less hair, uh, but I can't think of anything that has changed and you know when i saw people at my high school reunion i gave the keynote speak, speech at our last reunion and people came up to me and said oh you haven't changed at all mm. and i thought uh wait a minute i wasn't gray and balding back when i was in high school was i <laughs> but you know uh so i so the kind of kid i was is the kind that ends up being the adult that I am. Mm -hmm. And those things that I liked back when I was a kid, I still like. Uh, and those are the traits of humor, curiosity, empathy, and compassion for others. And if you have those things, we're going to probably get along. And yeah. if you don't have those things, we probably won't. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. What is the, if you had to sort of nailed down <clears throat> something that somebody taught you or something that you've learned that you think has really had the most impact on you that you would wish on others that you, you know, sort of, here's my sort of passing lesson. What would that be? Uh, 
the only time that you fail is when you give up on what's important to you. Mm. Otherwise, not that it's fun, but it's another step in learning. So, so you can how, import, how important is the pain? I think the pain is important because the pain and the relief of that pain can motivate you to overcome it, not by numbing yourself with drugs or alcohol, no. but by acknowledging the pain and trying to move through that. And that can be really painful, that process. Yeah. But I think it's really important to do and it's think, tough. Yeah. I think that the ultimate creative process is again, it's very interesting, isn't it? it it's again, it's the editing process. It's mm -hmm. the cutting away. It's the willingness to look at yourself and cut away the stories of who you were and let them go uh, rather than holding on to them as precious. But people want to not cut them away. They want to bury them. And there's a mm -hmm. vast difference that you can't cut away that which you don't examine. And you can't, you, you can bury it all you like. You're just dragging the shit around with you. It doesn't make any difference. So it, it's a very interesting creative process. And even, even at a quantum level, and I've talked about this a lot because of my, that was my, one of my great studies, is Heisenberg's certainty of unprincipled. Uh, uncertainty principle is that when I examine something, the thing I examine is changed and so am I. And that is the gift of the editing process of your history because you change the context to bring back to what you were saying before and you suddenly see things from a very different lens. Jeffrey, we are we're very, very close to the end and this has been amazing and wonderful and such a total joy for me at least. <laughs> and for me too. Thank you, Dove. It's been great. Thanks, mate, so much. Um, I, first of all, before I do anything else, let, I want you to tell our listeners and our viewers and where they can find out more about you and all the amazing things you do and have done. Well, they can buy the book uh, and it's available at all fine booksellers, which means Amazon, Barnes and Noble and all the others. I tried to do my FM radio voice for that at all yeah, fine you. booksellers. And uh, it's called Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas. And it goes into a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about. Absolutely. And uh, the websites, as you mentioned, are acreativecareer.com, also madoffproductions.com. And there's also a Creative Careers Instagram site, which has short quotes from my guests, which is at a creative career. And on LinkedIn, I started a Creative Careers group where I am hoping to really have discussions like we're having where people can support challenge and enhance the creative process and learn from each other. We'll see if that works or not, but I hope to do that. Collaborative. That's yes. awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> that is really, really awesome. I have absolutely loved this conversation. I really want to thank you. I, I know these are long form and, and I know you're a busy guy with a lot of things going on and I really appreciate your generosity of spirit and being with us and all that you've so openly shared it has been a complete honor and again i want to remind you dear listener dear viewer that you can find out more about jeffrey at the websites he just gave you um 
madoffproductions.com, uh, at creativecareer.com. You'll find him on all of those different places. And, you know, I want to remind you that you may have been stimulated, you may have been invigorated by these conversations, but you know what? You got to stay curious. You've got to stay curious, my friend. And one of the things I really want to challenge you to stay curious on for this one is not just how your career can be, your creativity can give you the career that you really want. But here's what I really want to challenge you to get curious about. How can editing make you better? That's what I really want to challenge you on. So till next time, stay curious, my friends. Stay curious. This is Dov Baron. Find out more about me at dovbaron.com. And I am out. <laughs>